The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. When the days for Jesus' being taken up were fulfilled, he resolutely determined to journey toward Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On the way, he entered a Samaritan village to prepare for his reception there, but they would not welcome him because the destination of his journey was Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they journeyed to another village. As they were proceeding on their journey, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus answered him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. And to another he said, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. But he answered him, Let the dead bury their dead. But you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to my family at home. To him Jesus said, No one who sets a hand to the plow and looks to what was left behind is fit for the kingdom of God. The Gospel of the Lord. There are many things I love about our community, but one of the things that most fascinates me and continues to draw my attention is the fields. I especially like the, the patterns of the fields, to be able to drive along the road and to kind of look, look a little to the left or a little to the right and to see how the, uh, the, the lines kind of flow all across, uh, all across kind of next to the road as you, as you go along, to see uh, before the plants are, are, are starting to, to grow uh, just the, the simple rows uh, set up in the field that the plows have prepared. Uh, but now as, the, as the, the, the beans and the cane and such are starting to rise, uh, to look and to see just the, the order and the, and the beauty of it all. A few weeks back I was able to go up into, uh, up into the sky with Caleb and his plane and, uh, and to be able to see it from above, to see all the, uh, the plots of, of farmland and the, uh, just the, 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 the beauty of it all. It was absolutely fascinating. And it strikes me because it's absolutely wonderful. I love it. It's beautiful. It's orderly. It's logical. It's rich. But it's also a lot of work. Anyone who's ever spent a moment in the field, I believe, uh, would say much the same. That you don't just simply wish that it would happen and that, uh, ta-da, everything comes out and you've got straight rows and things start growing and everything's nice and good. It's a lot of work, tilling the ground, preparing it, cleaning it up, getting everything prepped, and so much more. In the gospel this weekend, the Lord Jesus reminds us of a similar reality. That the gospel is a beautiful thing. Whether you're seeing it close up or whether you're seeing it from above, it's rich. It's orderly. It makes sense. It's beautiful. And yet to live it out, it takes a lot of work. It takes great perseverance to continue to go in day in and day out and to labor in the vineyard of the Lord. This weekend we begin and we, we continue with the Gospel of St. Luke. It's a transition in the Gospel of Luke today that we heard in the reading. 
The first part of the gospel is basically it's divided into two pieces. The first part is the infancy narratives where we hear about Jesus being born and we hear of John the Baptist and Jesus begins his ministry and he goes forth and he starts to gather the disciples to himself. He gets the 12 gathered around him. And he starts to go, he's gone around for a little while. So we're in chapter 9, we're about a third of the way through the gospel. And the, the, the switch happens. We heard at the beginning of the gospel today. Jesus resolutely determined to journey to Jerusalem. Before he'd been simply going about and he'd been, you know, kind of building up. He'd been tilling the soil more or less. He was gathering the, the handful who would be the church. But today in the gospel, he resolutely determines to journey to Jerusalem. He sets his eyes on Jerusalem, not because of the, of the city itself, but because of what it means for him. It's the place where the fulfillment of his mission. Jesus knew that. He knew that in his divine mind. He, we, we just heard it the other day, uh, a week or two ago in the, in the gospel, the same. About he was talking to the disciples and he said, as the, in response to the acknowledgement that he is the Christ, yes. And I'll go to Jerusalem, and there I'll be handed over. I'll be persecuted. I will die, and three days later I will rise. Jesus knew exactly what going to Jerusalem entailed. But for us, it's uncertain. Jesus knew everything with, with clarity of what would it mean to go and to do the will of God. But for us, when we come to serve the Lord, we only know that we come to serve the Lord. Everything else is a question mark. We don't know what good or bad or otherwise waits for us down the road. We simply serve the Lord today. And we draw close and we pray and we trust that He'll bring us through whatever comes, good, bad, or otherwise. So it's an invitation to trust. In the gospel, the Lord explicitly responds to three individuals in a call of discipleship. One who approaches Him and two others that He approaches. And in that, in the responses that he gives, we see something of the call of discipleship and what it means for them as well as for us. And the first, the Lord Jesus is walking along as they're going, going up to Jerusalem. And this individual comes up and you can almost hear the, the, the joy, the zeal, uh, uh, the, in a sense, the, the foolishness of youth in his voice. I'll follow you wherever you go, Lord. I'll follow you wherever you go. And the Lord looks at him. And he responds, foxes have dens and birds of the air have nests, but I have nowhere to lay my head. It's a stark reminder, a, a, kind of a, a, a jolt to the man who says, I'll follow you anywhere. And he says, I don't have anywhere. I have no security blanket. I have nothing to fall back on. There's no plan B when you come to follow me. I have one goal. And no matter what, I'm going there to Jerusalem. When we come to serve the Lord, when we become disciples, it's an invitation for us to give up feeling secure. Not that the Lord won't provide for us, that we're always wondering if He'll provide for us. But to have that security which I myself can build up. So often we, we put so much weight and so much emphasis upon providing for ourselves and having our security set up in the end so that we'll be comfortable, so that everything will be taken care of, that we have no fears, that we have, if worst case scenario happens, we have a fallback. That's fine and good, and in, in a sense we need to have those things in this life. But when we come to serve the Lord, there should be no plan B. 
We heard a few weeks back also the story of St. Peter, of how after the resurrection, Peter was still struggling with the, the call to follow after the Lord. And in his, in his, in his confusion, in his, in his frustration, he said, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to plan B. But really for him, plan A. The Lord was plan B. I'm going back to fishing. I'm going back to my safety. To the thing which, even if the Jesus thing doesn't work out, I can still find peace there. And how often we can try to do the same. To build up for ourselves a little place, a safe place, so that when things don't work out with Jesus, it's easy to walk away and to go there, to find that place, and to have our earthly security. It's neat how the parallels are this week in between the gospel and the first reading from Elijah the prophet. Elijah goes forth, and Elisha the prophet is out in the field. He's, he's, he's still in the soil with the plow and the oxen. And in the middle of all these things, Elijah comes up and he lays his cloak on top of him, and then he begins to walk. It seems an odd, an odd scenario. You know, if somebody just walked up to you, put a jacket on top of you, took it off, and started walking, you'd be like, well, that was weird. But in the context of the Jewish faith, it was an understanding that, that Elijah was taking what was his, his power, his authority, that which was the, the cloak, and putting it on Elisha, saying, basically, what I have, I'm passing on to you. The Lord is calling you. Come. And Elijah begins to walk away. Elisha has a moment of fear in his heart. He wants the security. He wants to know that the things that he's built up, he can keep and remain. He's about his business. He's going through the work day. When the Lord comes and calls, follow me through the voice and actions of Elijah. The second individual that Jesus encounters is one in which he approaches him. The other first approaches Jesus, but Jesus approaches this one and says, follow me. And he says, first, let me go and bury my father. Again, all the responses seem reasonable things. It seems logical. Let me go bury my father for us again. Uh, it seems, well, yeah, let him, let him go have his father's funeral. And then, and then you, know, it's, you know, you don't want to deprive him of that. And then you come serve the Lord, yes. But the early church fathers in the scriptures, they pointed out how the, the particular phrasing of that was, was common in the sense that it was implicit that his father wasn't dead yet. He was basically saying, let me go live with my father. Let me go live my life. And then when dad dies, then I'll come follow you. Let me go enjoy the things that I'm attached to now. And then when they don't matter anymore, when they're not present anymore, then I can follow you. It's an invitation to detach ourselves from those things that keep us here and keep us from following after the Lord when he calls to us. Those ways in which the Lord says, follow me, come after me, do this, do that, go here, go there. And in the quiet of our hearts sometimes, or sometimes even with our voice, we say, okay, Lord, I will follow you. But first, I've got to do this one thing. Just this one thing. How many times have I found myself in the office of the rectory and said, okay, I'm going to go do that, but first, I just need to do one thing. It's going to take five minutes. And an hour later, <laughs> there I am, still doing that thing that's going to take me five minutes. And it's the same with the Lord. Lord, I'm going to follow you. Just give me a minute. I'll be right back. And he's waiting and waiting and waiting. 
those detachments, the things that we feel like we need to do, have to do, respond, they keep us here when the Lord calls are sorrowful. Because the Lord gives us the grace in that moment to follow. He doesn't give me the grace so that I can store it up on a little bank account and then later, whenever I feel like following Him, I take it out again. No, because the grace is gone. I've lost it. He gave me the grace then to say yes. How do I respond? When Elisha was in the field, when Elijah comes and gives him the cloak, he has that, that reluctance in his heart too. He's got that attachment. He wants to at least go say goodbye to his family. Elijah's words are a strong rebuke. We can, we can read it as, as something almost as an implicit going, yeah, okay, that's fine. As Elijah says, go back. Have I done anything to you? But in the, in the, in the response, Elijah's saying, Go. Go, if you, can't, if you can't follow the Lord, go home because it's not meant for you. I haven't given you any obligation yet. I haven't given you an authority yet, any responsibility yet. You're free. I haven't done anything yet. Go home. It's fine. I'll find somebody else. But Elisha, when he hears that, he understands it. And he receives the rebuke as a, as a way of, of encouraging his heart, as, as pushing his heart forward towards the Lord. And he takes the oxen, he sacrifices them, and he burns up his plow. It's significant that they named the number of oxen. There's 12. That meant he had a lot of money. He was sacrificing much. Not just his family, he was sacrificing his wealth. He was sacrificing, again, all those comforts, those attachments that so easily keep us here to be able to follow and to go off and to be a prophet of the Lord. The third of the men that Jesus encounters responds, it, it seems almost similarly to that call of follow me that he gave to the second. And this one says a similar response. Let me go and say farewell to my family. Again, reasonable. It'd be nice if mom and dad kind of knew that I was going somewhere, not just that I disappeared out of the middle of nowhere. And yet, too, the Lord responds with a certain harshness. The one who sets his hand to the plow and then looks back to what was left behind is not fit for the kingdom of God. Don't look back. When we come to serve the Lord, come to serve the Lord. We model ourselves after Jesus, who resolutely determined to go to Jerusalem. Again, he goes and stops along the way. He's got got a a storyline that he's moving with, and so it's not a direct shot. But the same with us. To set our hearts on the new Jerusalem, heaven, and to say, I'm going to heaven, period. And how am I getting there? And to resolutely determine for ourselves the same. To set our hearts in heaven and not to look back. So often we can look back. We feel feel discouragement sometimes in the Christian life. We feel that as we're going through things, it doesn't seem like we're making much ground. It doesn't seem like, you know, I'm sitting here, put my hand to the plow, and I've got the oxen, but it, it doesn't seem like anything is happening. Nothing, nothing's moving, nothing's changing. There's no life, there's no growth. We can look back and say, it was much easier when I didn't have this, or the Lord wasn't imposing this upon me. Many times I've lamented that with my friends in the seminary. And it was easier when we were heathens. We didn't have to care about what God thought or God said. Just did what you felt like. And yet that's a a way in which the human heart is trying to go back. To reclaim those things. To go back and to have regrets for following the Lord. 
The Lord says, there should be no regret when you come to follow me. There should be joy. In the places where we're tempted sometimes to look back, where we're sometimes even in our in a, in, in good intention, looking back and, and kind of regretting and having remorse for, for a life that was not exactly lived well, that was not lived with, uh, with marks of holiness and virtue, even in that the Lord says, just leave it behind. Look ahead. Look to heaven. Look at what's coming up. It doesn't matter how curvy the line was coming behind you. If we mark and start now, it can be straight, leading a wonderful path to eternal life. And so the Lord calls. St. Paul echoes it in the, in the scriptures in the letter to the Galatians. as He's saying, for freedom we were set free. Don't go back to the things for which you were enslaved before. Don't go back to your sin. We have freedom now. Don't use it as opportunities to indulge the flesh. Live in the Spirit. Live in the Lord. When we come to follow the Lord, it's difficult, we know. right? It's the, it's the way of the cross, etc., etc. But from time to time, it's good to remember just how much it's worth it. To remember what this is all about. To remember what heaven is. Or rather, who heaven is. Yesterday I was on the internet and looking at, uh, at some, of the, some of the blogs and, and websites that I follow, and I came across one that made me stop. And I had to just sit there for a while and stare at the screen. It was a picture of a religious sister with the most beautiful smile on her face. I couldn't, I couldn't scroll past the screen. It was radiant. One of the most beautiful things I've seen. And the headline was, Who smiles like this at the moment of death? Her name was Sister Cecilia. She smiles like that. She was a religious sister down in Argentina. She had a a severe lung cancer. Very painful lung cancer. And in her youth, she offered that to the Lord. She suffered with Him well. And on her deathbed, her face went from one of pain and suffering to a radiant smile because she knew that her bridegroom had come. She knew the Lord was coming to take her home. That heaven was just one more breath away. Eternal life with God. That's what it's about. I could preach a hundred homilies and it would be useless in the face of that picture. Go find it. It's on my Facebook page if you've got Facebook. If not, search Sister Cecilia, smiling, death. I'm sure it'll come up. It's beautiful because it reminds us of what it's all about. The Lord Jesus calls us. He bids us follow after him, each and all of us. We leave behind certain things. We're called to offer up certain things, to detach from certain things. But in the end, it's worth it because the inheritance that we receive is not a nice fat check at the end of the day. It's not somebody's heirlooms, family, you know, the, the family things passed on from generation to generation. It's worth more than that. The inheritance that we receive is the Lord God himself. The responsorial psalm reminds us of that. That in heaven, he is ours and we are his for all eternity. May the Lord grant us the grace today to draw closer to him.
that whenever he comes in his glory, whenever he comes to bring us home, we too might make those words our own. You are my inheritance, O Lord.